When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. On today's episode of the Fieldhouse Files, we'll be talking about what Pacer players are up to, what a potential return to the season might look like, and where, plus what we'll be paying close attention to with the NFL Draft. This episode of the Fieldhouse Files is brought to you by Remarkably Remote. It's a new daily microcast from GoToMeeting all about making work from home work for you. With indispensable intel on how to stay sane, motivated, and productive at home, we're here to help you in this brave new remote working world. Add to your flash briefing on Alexa or subscribe on your favorite podcasting app. And welcome into another episode of the Fieldhouse Files. I'm Scott Agnes. Hope you've been doing all right during this time as we still try to get back to a sense of normalcy. I think that's what we're all craving at this point. I know the weather has improved. I've tried to make a point to get outside and get out for a walk and, and those sorts of things. And I know all these players and NBA coaches and front office people feel the same way. And they're in different situations, a lot of them, because they have families at home. And, and you know, they're learning what it's like being a parent during this time of year when they're normally focused on the season. To uh, join me on this podcast is our producer, Mike Smeltz, joining me from his, his place in Brooklyn. Mike, how's everything going up for you? Dude, everything's good. You know, it's kind of crazy, but uh, everything's going well. Um, I'm excited for the NFL draft because it's, you know, we had the last dance on Sunday, which felt like a sports event. It was. And now we have the draft, which is a real <laughs> actual thing happening. Like I was really into the WNBA draft for sure. I mean, I'm always kind of interested, but this year I was like very into it because this is, you know, that's like the only sports content that we're really getting, the new fresh stuff. Yeah, I feel you. Normally I probably would have watched, I don't know, the first first round, first five, ten picks, certainly up to where the fever, my local team, would would be picking up, assuming they had a pick. Well, they had the third pick yet again um, and, and made a pick. And then Sabrina being the top overall pick um, and being so notable, I think that helped. And then, yeah, just spoke to how – craving we are of some kind of sporting event i mean that got the best rating it's had for the draft in 16 years i saw people guessing on the first uh, episodes of the last dance you know what's the audience going to be like and most people were like yeah you know what if you could get like two million which to put in general perspective is like a really good college basketball game for right. example, you know, it might be an IU Kentucky game if we ever could get that series going again. Um, it turned out it was three times that. And if it was an NBA game, it would have been the third highest viewed game of the year. So, yeah, Mike, you're dead on. We, we need something. And for me, at least, something like a WWE or like fishing, that doesn't do it for me. I'm not that desperate. No, I mean, and like I'm I'm down for, you know, it's always tough where you kind of read like which sports could come back the best. And obviously golf. It's got to be golf. Yeah, it's going to be golf very soon. And like, you know, you're you're in Indiana. Uh, A lot of people say motorsports is a way to come back. But if you actually know motorsports, people people are working very close proximity, particularly in NASCAR when you're in the pit crew. So it's like, I mean, people are, are in jumpsuits and it's a little more sanitary in terms of like, you know, everyone's not right on top of each other, everyone's wearing this sort of thing. But, like, you kind of just track which sports. Uh, to me, it's golf that 
you could very easily kind of get golf out there at a certain point when it's safe and healthy for everyone. And to be honest, it's not like the crowd comes into play in golf in a real sense. Of course, in the Masters, we do all everyone remembers, you know, people sitting behind, you know, the green sitting right there on the edge of the green as we're seeing a big shot. And that matters. And that adds to the element of it all. But mostly, I think you're going to be able to replicate. You know, we talked about Last Dance. There's a scene, I think it was episode one when Jordan hits the shot against Georgetown when he's at North Carolina in, you know, the, the NCAA final that there's 60,000 people there and there's all these people jammed in together to the same arena. I'm thinking like that, (laughs) that type of moment is the thing I'm going to miss at least over the next X amount of months, however long this is going to be that sort of everyone jammed into one big arena for one big moment. We're not going to get that, but we're going to get golf. You know, you can get golf to look at the positive. Golf's My, great. I, I completely agree. I love golf, and we learned yesterday that the the match is set at least for of local interest. Peyton will be playing with Tiger. Tom Brady will play with Phil, and that will go on. I think it's next mid mid May, and it'll air over TNT, not pay per view. So that's that's much better than last time. My only argument, and I completely agree with all that, is except the Ryder Cup. The Ryder Cup is so yes. dependent on the fans and the cheering and the booing, and we're at whichever country it's in. That's really <laughs> cool. But other than that, you're right. Golf. I mean, outside of the caddy and the player, there's really not much close interaction. Yeah. So I, you know, I've always been a big fan of golf. I will always be excited, but now more than ever, I mean, just being able to throw that on on a Sunday afternoon and having that in the, at least in the background, like that's what, you know, you're kind of missing sort of that like mm-hmm. background hum that you have when you're at your house kind of doing a bunch of other stuff. And if you have golf on or whatever sport you have on, that hum doesn't exist anymore. So now it's like Tiger King on Netflix or whatever crazy show. Uh, so far, I'm refusing to, to do that, Mike. I'm What's refusing that? to give my time to Tiger King. I heard it's just beyond Don't. stupid almost. Honestly, it's not it's not worth the hype. And it's crazy when you hear the number of people that have watched the alleged number of people because Netflix doesn't really share the numbers. So it's all right. secondhand sources, mostly from Nielsen that figures out the streaming numbers. And there's something like five billion minutes of Tiger King was watched in the first two weeks of it being out or whatever, which was just, I don't really know how to quantify that. Like, I, that's obviously a, a quantified number, but I don't know what that means. Um it's not worth your time, really. It's not. It's like it's, you know, it's just not. It's not an important story, and the at the end, the people all are not that likable. So it's it's really not yeah. where you want to be. The but thing hey. I read too, and again, you made the good point that we don't know exactly how accurate these numbers are. But not only that, Tiger King was monstrous, something like I think I don't know forty five million, but that Ozark season three topped it, and that I'm on board with because I did oh, like wow. that. But um, to, to our main point here with golf coming back <laughs> to bring it back to sports a little bit. I don't mind the, the side conversation. It's all we got right now. And yeah. <laughs> honestly is I'll be curious and I encourage and I'm hopeful to see what leagues and networks do in the meantime. And what I'm talking about more so here is probably the next six months. What what are they going to do to experiment? So I'm, I'm fully expecting games whenever they do come back. Let's take NBA that there will be no fans. I think we are, we all accept that. So you're probably, say, in a conference room, a ballroom, in a hotel. Maybe you're on a practice court. You could do it, for example, down in Orlando where they had their old practice court, and that's where the old Orlando Summer League was, where the Pacers used to go to um, all the time. But the two random things, do you pipe in some kind of crowd noise so that there's always something in the background? Um, do you mic up more players to try to maximize – 
um, and bring kind of the on-court experience off the court. And the other thing is nowadays with technology, what if you did something like encourage fans to download their team app and maybe through the Pacers app, let's say, uh, a select group of fans could turn on their mic and essentially be part of a feed that goes in from Pacer fans and have a separate speaker for the opponent. And so if they're booing or cheering or laughing, that would all kind of be filtered into one speak. I don't know. Those are just kind of the things I've been spitballing while thinking about myself. Yeah, so so there's a couple of things that, Okay, let's say basketball does come back and we're talking about this scenario where, uh, you know, it's at a practice facility. It could even be in a regular arena, but like it's in an isolated place where there's not fans there. A couple of things that I do think there's going to be a savvy crowd of basketball watchers that the NBA likes to push their VR viewing experience, the virtual reality one, which is supposed to put you in the arena, literally, like as you're sitting, you know, at home, you put the goggles on or whatever you want to put on. I do think you're going to see more of that. I don't think the vast majority of basketball fans are going to experience the game that way because ultimately the still the best product is what's just on your regular two-dimensional TV. But I think there's going to be some people who are like, I'm going to give this a shot because I'm so craving the in-arena experience. The other thing that will be very interesting to see is, and there really hasn't been, this hasn't been that replicated but you know in the Final Four how they have that camera right along the side of the court that, like, tracks? Yeah, that's on basically like the along. railroad track. Yeah. The low and angle, though, that's the only negative. So you're going to get, because there'll be no fans, and every arena, though it is designed for basket, f- basketball presentation on TV, it's not optimized for basketball presentation on TV. Well, what are you going to get when you have no fans? We're going think of positives here, right? When you're, you're going to have no fans, you're going to be able to put camera up Wherever you want. just cameras wherever you want in the arena. And I love your idea about miking up. I think what we'll see is, you know, in baseball, Trevor Bauer had, um, he had like some kind of game, like that was, I don't know if it was like a charity event or something, but every player was miked up. And I think we're going to see players really embrace sort of their moment in all of this. And the fact that if we come back to basketball and we agree that, you know, people should be playing basketball in that moment, I think players are going to want to embrace it and would be seemingly willing to be more mic'd up to bring fans even closer into the game because they know that fans won't be there in attendance to watch them. So they'll maybe be more accepting of being mic'd up. And again, you're going to have these camera angles that we've never been able to play with. You know, the one thing about the NBA, I think on TV is I don't do you probably do you play 2K NBA 2K? I don't have anything. I thought about buying an Xbox and one of my friends was like, don't do it. You'll fall into the trap. Not yes. worth it. I haven't had anything since N64, so. Okay. N64 is really <laughs> real. Everyone should have stopped because that was the perfect system. Yeah. <laughs> and Mario Kart and Golden Knight, it's the only thing you need in your life. But in 2K, you can change the camera angle. You don't need to, to sit by the sideline angle. You, you can do this over-the-top angle. And I think, you know, in basketball, we've seen it played with in big games. Talking about Final Four, NBA Finals, NBA Playoffs, where they kind of shift the camera angle. In football, they do it often where they do sort of the all-22 film shot live during the game at various I don't, moments. I don't like that. Yeah, so it's like, I think we're going to but we're gonna get a different taste. You know, I think, and I think basketball, the sideline camera angle does, for sure, it's the most understandable, but it does limit what you're, what you're seeing on the court. Everything on the far side of the court, it, it kind of gets, doesn't get lost, but it gets diminished because, you know, we're only seeing, we're really focusing on the, the front side of the court. I don't know. I think it's going to be interesting. I hope, obviously, basketball comes back. And if it does, I think we're going to get um, an enhanced TV product 
but as you're saying, like, it will be weird mm-hmm. when there's no background noise. When it you're gonna hear sneakers literally squeaking along the floor because, I mean, you've said. Oh, you, I love what, that sound. By the way, that is gorgeous and, to me. And you wrote a really great story this season about I think it was in Memphis, right, where you sat very close. Yep. To the floor. Yeah, you're two rows behind Nate Nate McMillan the entire way. It was incredible. And so tell us, so what is the difference when you're sitting that close? What are you hearing more differently or what are you seeing more differently? Because I think on the TV, we're going to even like hear coaches shouting out plays. What are we going to kind of get from that experience? (laughs) Right. No. And the thing I'm curious about, and this is a long way down the road, but a selfishly is a media loud in and maybe it turns into like representatives like us with the athletic can get one guy in. And so maybe we send five people there to the games and they report back to all the beat guys to write their st- – I don't know. Those are the fascinating things to me in all this. The second part in all of it is let's assume I'm, – I'm going with the idea that it's a ballroom in, type, in something like Vegas or a random city. So even here in Indianapolis, you'd put it in the convention center. So it's an unnatural position, but at the same time, you'd be right on top of the court. So then where are the announcers? You could do remote announcers if you really wanted to limit the number of people. That doesn't work for me. I don't like it. Um, it's just not natural, and especially when fans aren't there, you need somebody to be there to explain what it feels like, what they're seeing even beyond the camera. But to that end, if they're up close, maybe courtside even, <laughs> then you're going to, as players, be able to hear, you know, running down the court, well, Victor Oladipo's missed his last six threes as he tries to fight. You know, like, <laughs> if you're a player, it's like, yay, CD, come on, man. Um, things like that, or Miles Turner with his third dunk, nobody can stop him as the defense runs back. Like those are the little things um, that I've considered. But to your point, Mike, in all this, for one, I should preface that that the experience in Memphis, I think it was like a Tuesday night, had to be the worst in-game experience in terms of fans and activity and noise that I've ever seen. It was to my favor, of course, with that story. So what I could hear being Right behind Nate in all this was in the first quarter how, again, if you read that story and you still can on The Athletic with our 90-day trial, boom, boom, um, is the fact that Nate doesn't call many plays in the first quarter. But outside of that, he's relatively quiet, or was at least most of the season. Towards the end when he got angered a little bit, he picked up a couple technicals. But you see you know, Bill Baino, one of the assistants, call a guy over, hey, T.J. Warren, you need to be on this baseline when this slip happens, or things like that. So you'll hear more of that. My only hesitancy I can see in players is guys like LeBron probably don't want to impact their image negatively. And if they're talking crap to guys out on the floor, <laughs> is there a filter? I wouldn't. I think there's too much live action that I want it. I would want it live if anything. I don't necessarily need it um, on a replay where somebody in a truck is filtering through it like we see in the playoffs. We usually don't get a great audio feed to come out of that. Right. And I know that's exactly what would happen is that there would be a filter person as there is, you know, because typically what we're as you just said, as what we're hearing on television, if whatever your local broadcast or national broadcast, I thought about writing the stories, by the way, sometime is seeing if I could get either the team or the lead, whatever it would take to let me sit next to those PR people or that engineer in the truck and be and tell you what feed they're throwing away. Is it a lot? Maybe it's nothing. And maybe maybe they're having trouble even finding something that's worth our time. I don't know. Yeah. And it's in it's almost like a, a live in person version of all the footage that they got for the last dance. Like the reason why we're getting the last dance now is because the footage that we're going to hopefully be seeing in the, uh, the following episodes was so uh, damaging <laughs> to how, how people may have thought of Michael Jordan. Mm-hmm. Um, 
and I'm sure during games, you know, I think we would be somewhat understandable, but there would be a moment in a game if there was no filter that if a player acted a certain way, there would be criticism of the way that guy maybe said something or how they acted in a certain moment because we're having, I, there is going to be a filter of some kind, but I think it would be still be enhanced <laughs> from the product that we're getting now. Right. Like I think we would still get hopefully more of it more yeah. interesting. That's just a small element. Like, I don't know if you watched any of the XFL. It was very short-lived, unfortunately, mm -hmm. but they did a thing where they would, and this wouldn't happen in this kind of current scenario, but they would have a sideline reporter interviewing players during the game. And you can do that in football because there's offense, defense. So a, a guy would score a touchdown and then they would get interviewed on the sideline. I, I think there's like sort of those elements that you kind of pick up because the NBA is going to do it. I think if they come back, they're going to do everything they can to make the product one as good as it possibly can be so that also means how do they ramp up into whether it's the playoffs which i think it will be the playoffs and then two they want to make this like kind of a spectacle because they they, they know gotta, they can maximize this window right this i mean <laughs> we just talked about jordan getting uh what is it six million viewer the jordan documentary got in six like, blowing everything out of the water in terms of sports documentaries in terms of ratings and that's just something a documentary in the first two episodes with things that like basically everyone already knew about think about an actual basketball game where we don't know the outcome i think it would be you know it could be the greatest ratings the nba has seen since michael jordan basically so they're going to want to actually add a layer of uh additional layer of broadcasting that i think would be a nice product and i would welcome it because again i'm watching Tiger King on Netflix, and that's not that entertaining compared <laughs> to, to basketball. To quote the former pacer Jalen Rose, who's now the the media mogul here, give the mm -hmm. people what they want, and and that's Absolutely. something unique here. And it wouldn't be limited to micing up guys. Maybe it's trying new camera angles, and I and you could have camera guys in there because it'd be far enough away um, from all the action. But those are the certain conversations, although in a much bigger scope that the NBA is having. Um, I know a couple weeks ago, not. Uh, about two weeks ago, Friday, um, the team presidents got on a phone call and just kind of got an update. And we're not really expecting anything, at least I'm not, until uh, probably two or three more weeks at least. And, and that's fine with me um, because there's no need to rush it, need to get it right rather than being first here. Um, but as of now, I still fully expect the season to be back. I'll just be curious if they can even work in any regular season games. And if you do, uh, what are you doing with them? For example, a team... Uh, bottom of the standings, and if you're at the Atlanta Hawks, why do you want to finish your season? If you're the Warriors, where you're pro assuming you're not going to play Clay Thompson and Curry still, like what's the point here? And, and I saw the other day where a French player went back overseas. Like, is he going to come right. back for two games, or is that worth it? The other thing I could see, Mike, here is uh, if you get to the playoffs, at minimum, I could see them trying to shorten series um from seven to five games and say the first couple of rounds however it does reduce the type of money they could bring in um because you have less games to show but if their window gets tightened you could see that maybe you see them reduce the playoff field from eight to to four or six um that's the other thing but in terms of players i mean it's interesting at least with the pacers here you got guys kind of all over the country too uh, miles turner's with his parents back home in bedford uh, Orlando uh, Oladipo's down as in his home in Orlando. Uh, I think Domas is living the life in L.A. He's got his model girlfriend. He's got a great place in L.A. Um, he doesn't care that he's terrible at NBA 2K. 
which, <laughs> for example, what we were talking about, that was a good experience. It wasn't great, but it was something uh, that the NBA gave us. I also found it interesting. Doug McDermott moved back in with his parents in, in Omaha. So he's doing chores around the house. He's doing he's taking out the trash and he's, you know, doing the dishes, things like that. And then you also have other guys, um, like Gogo Pataze, their first round pick, a guy that's probably pretty lonely by himself mostly here in Indianapolis. TJ McConnell's here in Indy. But you got guys at least with the Pacers and other teams that are just spread out around their country, um, with their families where they should be. Yeah, and I was so I was just talking. So I host the Brooklyn Nets podcast on our network, which is called the Glue Guys. And I was talking to a guy who's at the end of the bench for the Nets. And if you're a Pacers fan, you've never heard of this person. Totally understandable. But Chris Chioza, and it, you may have heard of him because he went to Florida and he hit a game-winning shot against Wisconsin in the NCAA tournament. Like I think it was like three years ago. Um, and so I'm talking. To, we're talking to Chris, and he was giving us some really good kind of insight on what he's dealing with. So with the Brooklyn Nets. Each Sunday night, they get sort of this packet of information that tells them, you know, this is the kind of workouts that you should be doing at home. This is the type of things you could be doing at home. Obviously, there's like a limitation. There's a wide range of guys. So you have someone like LeBron and many players who have a basketball court attached to their home. And then you have guys like Chris Chioza who definitely do not have a basketball court attached to their home. So you kind of have to like structure the workouts via a team that way. And then he was saying, you know, him and his teammates have been getting questionnaires every night, basically, where they're answering how they're feeling, what they did today in terms of productivity. What did they do? And I think what we will find out if the season does come back this season is that there will be some teams that really prepared and really sort of kept the their team together. You know, you talked about how everyone on the Pacers is all around the country so there's not the team's all broken apart, but the way that, you know, everyone else is staying connected through Zoom or Skype or whatever they're using, you know, which teams are doing a really good job of keeping sort of their players, you know, on, heading in the same direction, whether it's health wise or staying sort somewhat focused on a potential return to the season and which teams are not doing so well. And you talked about the Warriors. It's like and, you know, if I'm a player on a bad team. I'm not even thinking about returning to basketball. I mean, one, I don't think it's going to happen for regular season. Two, I just like, how, how could you, these guys, most of these teams that yeah. are on bad teams, were just kind of riding it out anyways. And now this happens. I can't imagine they're as locked in as someone like, let's say the Pacers team or the Nets, who the Nets, I guess would be in the playoffs. But again, we don't know if they're going to go to a full 16 team playoff when this thing, do you think what's, what's your image of the playoffs? If it happens, what would it be? The yeah. pure image. Yeah, I'm just I kind of laugh thinking about the Cavaliers who've won 19 games and really <laughs> probably don't want to see each other again till the fall, being forced to come back for a two week quarantine for a two week pra- training camp, mini camp, if you will, and then <laughs> playing you know five games. But maybe for the money, which directly impacts the players, we should point out, you know, they're getting 50 50 of whatever is made here, so there is an incentive in terms of, of sure. dollars here, um, but. Realistically, how I see it happening is is the first couple things happening. Everybody comes back to the city. Uh, maybe it's mid-June. Then they start a, a two-week quarantine um, just to make sure people are okay after traveling, that sort of thing, and being around um, all different types of people, their families and such. Um, then you have some kind of mini camp, probably two weeks minimum, I'm thinking, because, again, you can stay in the greatest shape. We can We see that even when guys enter training camp. But then it's a whole different gear once you need game shape. Um, 
That's totally different. That's why you see the need for so many preseason games, even when guys are playing year-round. And then what I think is realistic is you you whittle down the first and second rounds at minimum to best-of-five series, which wouldn't be the worst thing uh, moving forward anyway because this is one exception year, right? Because if the Warriors um, – or excuse me, if uh, a team like – the New Orleans Pelicans could make their way to the eighth seed. I think we really like to see Lakers Pelicans in round one, even just for the hype. But let's take the East because this is where it's laughable. I don't want to watch eight games of the Bucks and the Magic squaring off. There's just no interest there. And fortunately for the league too, another reason why they don't need uh, those bottom tier teams to play again is that there's a pretty hard split between eight and nine seed five games between the Magic and Wizards and you got four games in the loss column, basically, with the Grizzlies and Trailblazers um, out west. So if you're sticking with eight teams like normal, you you don't need any regular season games necessarily to decide um, who's there. But I see them trying to make it work, wrapping up right before Labor Day and calling it in the season. I think that would be the best-case scenario here because they want to get a full season in next year. But, of course, they do have that flexibility where they could start later, where they could – you know, do December to June or, I don't know, January to August if they wanted really to next year. But I'm not sure we're at that level. But, it, again, going to our first point, Mike, this would be their opportunity to experience, experiment with it next year because this, is, this unpredictable situation kind of forced their hand into these challenging times. Yeah, and so one thing that I've been thinking about was, one, I don't, I don't know if you can go in. It's like, can you go in with all 16 playoff teams? The one thing that I think could really help the situation, and I do think this is going to happen, not that I have any reporting to back it up, but I would imagine, so the window of of times when games tip in the regular playoff structure is, you know, 7 p.m. earliest, you know, East Coast time, and then 10.30 p.m. East Coast time is, you know, the West Coast tip or whatever it is. I think we're going to see, if we have a full 16-team playoff, you're going to see tips at noon, and going on forward, so like noon, three o'clock, six o'clock, seven thirty, and because yeah. mostly we're going to still be living in a reality where, well, one, we're not going to have to worry about getting people into the stadium to actually see the game in terms of fans. So we're not going to care about getting people after work, and there's still going to be a lot of people working from home. So if you're putting on a new, like if I'm, if you're telling me right now I can watch a noon playoff game between the Nets and Raptors, <laughs> let's go on my TV and watching it like NCAA tournament, you know, yeah. and that's. I'm watching all day. I'm watching the NBA for the entirety of the day. And ESPN or TNT, you know, the two main partners for the NBA, they are they are thirsting for this content. So I would imagine that they would love to put NBA games, you know, throughout the whole day. You know, does that do you think that's a possibility or is that too much of a time shift for no, a, I, a playoff scenario? I think it's more likely but for a different reason. Remember, we're I'm I'm predict or not predicting. I don't do that. I'm. It, it makes the most sense for them to all come back in one location, kind of taper them off from everyone else. Well, if you have one venue, let's say, even if there's two gyms, you're not going to have the. T- you can't. You're going to want to get several games in each day. Now, I guess you could do a six p double header essentially each day, um, but still, you're not getting at least early on the games you need to. So, I actually see them doing that. If anything, purely from a need basis, because there's only two sets of announcers, or and they need the extra gym. Maybe you, what you do is have two ballrooms with two courts, and that's how you bring them back. I think that's very realistic, though. Yeah, and and 
again, I like it from a viewing perspective because, you know, they need to condense this. You can't have two, you can't have a series only play two games in a week, which almost kind of happens in the first round. You know, they really play three games in a week, but you don't want to do back, you don't want to do like straight through a whole five game series in five nights, but you do want to condense it as much as you can, make it more closer to the regular season kind of schedule. I love seeing basketball games all the day. And this would really only be through the first round because then once you knock off eight teams and it's the elite eight of the NBA, then you're getting it back to the sort of the more traditional broadcast windows. You're getting it more played out. And I also, I agree with you where I think particularly the first round, it's very difficult, but like, you know, I think the best idea is to only do a five game series for sure in the first round. But then if you want to do a situation where like the, if the bucks lost in the first round because they had one weird game. And then for some reason, Giannis fouled out another one and then they're, they're down. Like, you know, like then it would almost completely taint the playoffs in some way. I think it's already there though. That's the thing. Like even, even if we have a predictable winner here, the Lakers, the bucks, the Clippers essentially is what I think it's down to here. I think it'll, it'll not necessarily even taint it, but it'll all be like, yeah, but that season was a little off because you could make realistic arguments here, too, the fact that, and we don't know how they'll return, but maybe Giannis is now healthy again, and remember, he was sitting out, or this layoff was great for LeBron in his age, or it was awful because his body you know, you know wasn't up to par. Um, there's going to be some kinds of realistic explanations. I won't even say excuses, but I think whomever wins, and assuming it comes back, it just won't feel normal. Yeah, and like we'll always remember, of course, like if there is a champion this season, we'll always remember this champion being the champion who won during this crazy COVID-19 pandemic season. But, you know, no one talks about the Spurs being the team that won during the lockout season, you know, during when the season was pushed. Like we don't even really mention it anymore. So, you know, like and if we do get, as you said, if we do get to predictable champion, Bucks, Lakers, Clippers, whoever, it's going to feel correct. And I don't think I don't think it's possible because of this condensed schedule that the Magic would win an NBA championship, though. How much crazy fun would that be in some weird way that that, like that unpredictableness happened to that end, Mike? I don't like it, but I'm curious your take. Some some I think just kind of spitball and we're curious, you know, let's just bring everybody back. And if you're going to try to bring them back, finish off some of the regular season and they're already playing, why don't you treat it somewhat like March Madness and, and draw out a bracket all 30 teams are included and it'll be interesting for instance you're you know 130 might be the um the bucks squaring off against the warriors for example and so you see things like that that would that would like in this one season that would be the most exciting 130 matchup in nba history you know (laughs) the like because ostensibly you could clay could come back and steph is back and then it's clay steph draymond (laughs) And yeah. Andrew Wiggins, I guess, going against Giannis and the Bucks. That would be the greatest 130 matchup in NBA history. But I'm like, you, I don't, that that to me, I would rather just do a final four and then do seven game series, seven game series. I, that, and I don't really even love that. It would just be a fluke because you, you would have some upsets then because a guy wouldn't be feeling it or, you know, stuff would be happening. You would have some upsets then and. I think then I would totally think of this this season as a fluke, wouldn't you? Yeah, you can't you can't do the I I I one don't think the NBA would do the one game knockout March Madness style, and I don't think you can. And whoever wins the championship that year, 
wouldn't be viewed as the proper champion. And I don't think the Warriors, um, the Suns, Timberwolves, all the bad teams, they don't deserve, you know, frankly, that shot. Now, you could tell me that we could do, you know, you could do seven versus 10, eight versus nine, one game playoff to get into the playoffs because those teams that are in the ninth slot and the 10th slot haven't had a chance to compete, you know, for to, to finish off the season to hopefully make a late season run to get into the playoffs. So I could see that where you do, you know, seven, 10, eight, nine, and then we get into a condensed playoff scenario where maybe you're only doing a five game series, five game series, seven game series and seven game series. That makes more sense to me. I yeah. think the March Madness style tournament though is, <laughs> It's just, we're not going to get a, a real champion. We're not going to consider that champion a real champion at all. You know, as much as I'd like to see the Pelicans, who are let's see, three and a half games back out of eighth, I think there's a clear distinction. There's really no point unless you just need regular season games. You have your teams. Let's just figure it out. And let's get it back. But again, we're we're kind of a long way from it. But it, it doesn't mean it's not fun to kind of speculate and and discuss the type of scenarios and the things these are the type of conversations that they have to have um, behind the scenes. And the other thing is I think this time away is really given probably coaches and players, especially a time to ponder both their interests after basketball and maybe giving them too much time to consider, uh, you know, how they're filling their free time, right? Like if they're a really social guy, but you can't be social, it's like, hey, you know what? I need to find other interests or, you know, take a local guy, Victor, um, he loves music. Well, this is really giving him a time to fuel that. And he's, he's uh, I guess, coming out with his own podcast. So he's going to join our competition here oh, no. <laughs> a, a little bit. He'll be our competition, I should say. But um, I, I think that's a real thing and why I bring that up. And I thought about it today because of Muffet McGraw, legendary head coach, uh, women's basketball coach at Notre Dame just decided, you know what, I'm good without basketball. I realized that during this time off that I could be okay without it because um, she's been a lifer within the game. Yeah, and so I, when I spoke to Chris Chiosa, he literally said to me, I started playing video games during this because I didn't have anything to do, and now video games like it doesn't do it for me. I, I need a new hobby, and it's true. It's like if you're a basketball player, you grew up playing basketball. Most of these guys end up specializing in basketball at the age of 13 or even younger than that. They're playing all summer, then they're playing for their school, and then they go up in, in the NBA. They play eight months out of the year, and if they're not playing eight months out of the year during the downtime, the other four months, if that's what it is, they're training for basketball or they're condensing in the certain social life that they want to get. And then they get right back to basketball. So it's like a lot of these, you know, it's like the, for a lot of us, we've been kind of forced to figure ourselves out at home. Um, and it's been interesting to see. I have really kind of enjoyed how players have taken like a really big step in kind of reaching out to fans during this time, because, you know, one, it's important that everyone keep up the connections. And it's been nice to see, you know, guys dropping in on zoom calls you know, doing these sort of Q and A's, people being more open to kind of sharing what they're doing. Cause you know, we still want to, you know, we still are kind of waiting to see what's going to happen. It's nice, you know, that we're still getting that connection from the teams and hoping, you know, that basketball may actually happen at some point. Yeah, I agree with you. And, and I think it's probably good for them too, because they're used to having that routine, being told what to eat and when to work out and how hard to go. I think that's probably some kind of learning curve from these guys. Um, last thing here for us, Mike, is we'll be watching the draft for the NFL all weekend long, beginning Thursday night. And 
I'll be fascinated even more than who picks where and, and who trades, those sorts of things, is the logistics behind it. We already got a tease of it in a much, much smaller scale with the WNBA. I'll be very interested to see how the NFL pulls it off. This probably has to be one of the most difficult tasks for the ESPN staff behind the scenes because they're teaming up with NFL Network because they only have a studio ESPN. Um, they're sharing reporters. They sent 60 iPhones to the kind of the top 60 prospects in their mind. Um, maybe they won't show prospects um, celebrating if there's more than 10 on the couch or in the room right there because they want to exercise that social distancing and encourage it from everyone else. Somebody's going to leave their phone on. Somebody's not going to be able to call in a pick. I think that, at least to me, will be more exciting than you know Joe Burrow goes number one. Duh. Yeah, and I think it was John Schneider, the Seahawks GM, who said there was some sort of gentleman's understanding that if the time runs out on the pick, I think they have, but it used to be five minutes, and now it may be seven minutes or something like that, that if the time runs out the pick, no one's going to try to jump ahead, which has happened in regular drafts. Particularly, I remember, I think it was one year, the Terrell Suggs year, where the Ravens jumped ahead of maybe it was the Minnesota Vikings or a team like that, and they ended up getting Suggs when above the team that was supposed to be actually be picking him. And so that's not apparently it's good. There's going to be some gentleman's agreement though. How do you, how do you really monitor it? How much buffer do you really give? I think the NBA though is in a better place to kind of handle the situation when you're reading the quotes, you know, I was reading <laughs> Peter King's article yeah. and some of these GMs are saying, I don't even know how to mute myself on, on zoom or Skype or whatever they're going to be using. It's like, you know, <laughs> like I, you know, I'm very sympathetic to the technologically unable, but you got to know, you got to know how to mute yourself. There's a big picture of a microphone. You just got to push it and that will mute you. Um, I, I, I think it'll be, I'm, I'm just excited though that the draft is going to happen. And I think for the NBA, do you think that's going to be the kind of scenario that we're going to have? Do you ultimately believe that like the draft also in the NBA, whenever it happens, will likely be the same sort of everyone's on Zoom and doing the way that, that the NFL is going to be doing it, or do you think it will be a little bit more normal? Yeah, so right now the sense around the league is that it's it's NBA, it's going to be pushed, right, because it's not going to go before the season is even up um, because right now it's be scheduled for late June. It wouldn't surprise me. I'm almost expecting it really to happen probably, say, late August. You could even go September. The only person that it impacts here are those prospects that are on the fence. And locally, it's a guy like Trace Jackson Davis, who kind of, I think, would like to go. He's able to get feedback right now um, from the executives and kind of a sense of where he would be drafted if he went out. But I also think um, guys, there's select guys, right, that would come and do those pre-draft workouts, and that's where they'd really make an even bigger impression. Maybe they're, you know, I think a Miles Turner who – the Pacers drafted, obviously, with their first-round pick several years ago. He was not a good player when he was playing for the University of Texas. Misused, came off the bench a lot. I think he played limited minutes, maybe 10, 12 minutes per game. Well, it was actually a couple of scouts for the Pacers that watched him in practice. And that's where they fell in love with him, um, seeing the other side of him. And, the, and then the pre-draft workouts usually um, confirm that or, or make them think otherwise. And so I think that's where it'll hurt some of these college players. Um, but to your question, Mike, I think ultimately should it happen later than we, than it currently is, I think they'll figure it out where, you know, 
they're able at that point, say in August or September, to all be in the same room, especially NBA where it's a much tighter group. Uh, NFL, right. you might have all these regional scouts. You might have 30 to 40 people in a room. NBA, I think you're talking about a dozen. So there's big enough conference rooms where you could sit every other seat type of thing. So I yeah, think I mean- they'll figure that out. And the owner makes the pick anyways, right? So for some teams. Approves um, it. So. <laughs> Approves it, certainly, at least for most. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and, you know, famously in basketball, you hear, of, like, I'm thinking of Yijian Leon, who famously did a draft workout just against a chair, literally was shooting <laughs> against a chair, and becomes, I think, was the fourth overall pick in the draft that he was in, or third, like, he was some, you know, within the top six. And it, so in the NBA sometimes these guys don't actually even work out against anyone at all. They're just running through the Spurs do a particular drill, which I think is just one person doing it. I don't think there's any sort of defense or anything called the Spurs 100 where they have to, I think it's, they have to take a hundred shots over various parts of the court. And from what I heard, it's really more of a conditioning drill to see if a guys can keep up. But you know, there's ways that you can do still a basketball workout where like in football, we're seeing these videos of these guys running forties and then a time flashes up on the screen from whoever the video producer of this little Twitter video. And they'll say the guy ran a 4.2 when, you know, they're really running like a four seven, right? Like, but in basketball, a ball has to go in the hoop and you can see the distance. You can, there's probably more things you can extrapolate from zoom workouts, I guess. And the, the kind of the flip side of this though, is that this draft in particular is one of the oddest drafts in recent memory, because so many of the top picks in this draft, one was playing, and LaMelo Ball was playing in the other side of the world in Australia. RJ Hampton, also in the same situation in Australia, though he's not as highly rated. James Wiseman played, what, two games in college basketball for Memphis and then didn't play anymore. There are so many of these guys that played very little college basketball, if at all, or they were playing halfway across the world. Again, it's like there's just not that much intel on this draft. And for Pacers fans, I, I guess that's not that's not that bad of a thing because there's not this draft feels weak. And it's also that the Pacers don't have the first round pick right. this year, so they won't miss out, you know, on potentially a big draft. And this will be a very uncertain draft overall. Yeah, no. Yeah. Without a pick. Um, the uncertainty going into all that is curious, and that's something we can get into uh, down the road here because we'll have, I think, several months to get into it. But I know they're wanting extra time to kind of adapt and change to it. And, and to your first point, um, how hard the Spurs run them, and that's the same thing I've heard from the Pacers is they want to see your endurance. They want to see if you'll fight through um, being really exhausted after after a workout because you also consider they probably did one the previous two days um, and then flew and got into town the previous night and just kind of test some men- their mental strength. But more than anything, those workouts are just to get in front of a guy, um, see see what he wants to talk about, see how he handles himself at lunch and around other people. Because generally at those workouts, they know where they're going um, with all that. The one last thing I, I did want to note that I'll be looking for um, with this NFL draft, the, challenge, the biggest challenge I foresee is if – trying to make trades or if they need to talk specifically if the gm needs to talk with your west coast scout 
that's where it gets a little awkward. I might in my head what I'm thinking you're doing is they probably have one Microsoft team set up with all the GMs or the the NFL directly. Then they have a separate ro- separate one for the coaching staff and maybe a separate one for the scouts and so they can kind of the GM could toggle behind uh one, to one then the other and say, "All right, Jim in Seattle, tell me about this this prospect. Um what should we do here? What are you seeing?" And obviously they've already had those conversations, but I think that'll be the the most awkward thing of all this we joke about a guy leaving himself on mute or not figuring it out I think it's more just kind of the logistics of I need another minute to make this significant type decision and I finally just picked up my cell phone and called the guy yeah and the one interesting moment not one but one of the more interesting moments will be the unpredictability of a draft where a guy is falling down the boards you know, and, you know, there's obviously the Eric Rodgers is the classic example of a guy who thought to go higher and ended up going way later than he should have. And in those moments, you know, each second goes by, it goes by quicker and quicker for these general managers or executives of player personnel. And they're when typically they're all in a room, you can kind of quickly say, OK, what do you remember about him? Why is he falling? What's happening right now? What are we doing? We should call this team. Let's call them right now. There's usually a couple people calling about a couple of people within the room calling other teams about trades. It's not just one person on the phone saying, Hey, I'm going to call Atlanta. I'm going to try to get trade. Oh, I'm going to call Dallas to try to get trades. Usually a couple conversations going on and things are kind of set up. And as let's say it's Tua. Okay. And Tua obviously very highly thought of. And, but because of his injury history, there's a chance that he may fall. If he's falling and let's see, he gets to 10 and then 11, and then you're going to have, the GMs are going to have to be making these decisions and in the moment going to have to try to assess why Tua is falling and just not being in the room with these people. They're, it's going to delay things and it's going to make it possibly even Tua may fall farther because the team just says, I don't have the information. I don't have the medical information. I don't have the information in the moment to make this deal. Mm-hmm. And then we could have Tua falling to Dallas and then they, <laughs> then Dallas takes Tua and you know, Dak Prescott's on to Indianapolis. There you go. Yeah, so Dak Medi- Prescott's the new next Colts quarterback. <laughs> yeah, you're right, though. Medical, that's significant here. Um, both NFL, NBA draft, what have you. So that's one thing. If you don't have it, you won't feel comfortable moving up or, or taking a guy that's falling because you'll question it. And if you don't have the data to confirm or whatever the thought process um, that'll be interesting. We'll be watching. Mike, appreciate you jumping on and joining me here on today's show. Thanks, man. That's Mike Smeltz. I'm Scott Agnes. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of The Fieldhouse Files. You can subscribe to The Fieldhouse Files on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play, wherever you listen to your shows. And also, our special continues on at The Athletic. Log on to theathletic.com slash fieldhousefiles to get 40% off the annual price, less than 30 bucks per year. I have a special guest planned for next week, and we'll talk to you then.